everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have a great show today, but first I want to acknowledge the first ever Juneteenth, the official holiday that was declared by Joe Biden. God bless you, Joe, and everybody clap because it's long overdue. And Father's Day is tomorrow. It's the one day of the year when it's Father's the day one day today. of the year. Father's Day. To, oh, it's, Father's Day is today. Today's Sunday. The show. Oh, but, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I get confused because I've I been know. a father for so long. So happy <laughs> Father's Day to me and to others. Um, we got a great show. Um, let's just jump into it. We're going to hear from Mitch Berliner, one of the founders of Central Farm Markets. Uh, berries, berries, and more berries are at market. Uh, we're being joined also by a really interesting lady, Deb Schaefer. She's the founder of Enchanted Botanicals, and she is a spiritual herbalist. And if you don't know what that is, hang in there. You're going to find out. Um, grass-fed true Aussie beef and lamb is back. I think COVID kind of shut down importing and shut down a lot of things, shut down stores. But we've got the folks from the, um, the Aussie beef and lamb group to tell us all about why that grass-fed beef is so good for us. Chala O'Neill's Mediterranean Cafe counter had all kinds of problems during COVID, along with COVID, a fire that shut them down in Shaw, but they're back in Georgetown uh, with a new operation that's larger and beautiful, and we want to hear all about it from Chala when she gets on. And he is back on the show. Richard Sandoval is the owner of Modern Mexican Restaurants. He's a culinary consultant, a TV personality, and the last time he was on the show a couple of years ago, he tangled with Nikki about something I don't remember, but we've got... <laughs> He's brave and he came back on. I said a bad word on air. He's got a new uh, restaurant called Delina Woodfire Mexican Cocina and Mezcaleria in the Mount Vernon Triangle. We're going to hear all about that. But Feist, let's go to Mitch Berliner because he looks, we can see him. You guys can't. He's beautiful. How are you, Mitch? I am wonderful. I'm vaccinated. Happy Father's Day to (laughs) all the dads and granddads out there today. Uh, we are grandparents of six. It's much better than children. All right. You just ate up 30 seconds of your time. Tell us about berries at the market. Okay. First, I will say that Central Farm Market is Father's Day headquarters for all kinds of grilling stuff. Uh, and meat crafters is there with their salamis. And we've got cheese assortments, breads, all kinds of bakery. And as far as the produce is concerned, it's a berry bonanza we have the first black raspberries. We also have red raspberries. Several varieties of cherries are in today. We have the first peaches of the season today. And we also have the first shoshito peppers. And if you yeah. haven't had them, we just urge you to get some frying in a pan. Okay, so Mitch, let me ask you. So there are two camps when it comes to peaches. The white peach camp and the yellow peach camp. Do you carry both and sort of what is the difference? Is it just sort of some hybrid of each? No, well, the the first peaches that come in are always yellow peaches and they're clings, meaning that the fruit doesn't come completely free from the pit. So they're called (laughs) cling peaches. After that, you get different varieties. And all these different varieties have been uh, produced over the years and developed 
um, allows the peach season and nectarine season to start now and go all the way into the first week of October. So, um, and I would say that some, you know, there's two different camps exactly right. The people who like the yellow peach think that it has more of a peach flavor and the white peach is, has a higher sugar content. It does, it does. Personal preference, really. I also like the texture of the white peach better, personally. Like the I love the white peach, I have a sweet tooth. Yeah, uh. I too. All right, Mitch, tell everybody where they can find all the Central Farm Markets, celebrate their Father's Day needs, but also really support the local farming community. Thank you. Central Farm Markets, we have three markets. We have uh, one that's opened on Saturday at the Pike and Rose on the REI parking lot. And that's every Saturday. Then we have the Nova Market um, that's on the church parking lot of the Church of the Holy Comforter that's open today. And that's open every Sunday year round. And then our flagship 16 year old downtown Bethesda Central Farm Market open year round nine to one thirty on the parking lot of the Bethesda Elementary School. Come on down and say hi to me. Well, pretty soon that market is going to be old enough to drive legally. My God, that's a long time. All right, Mitch, I just want to say that I'm part of the cling peach uh, crowd because I never want to be too far from Nikki, so I cling. All I'm right. Cry. <laughs> Bye. All right, Deb Schaefer. I know you were on you were on industry night with Nikki. Nikki, why don't you take it and uh, kind of lead in here and uh, talk about how you guys got together? So I was introduced to Deb Schaefer. She sent me some of her products. And I am definitely not a, like, mysticism sort of person but I am interested in sort of herbs and healings and meditations I I'm I'm dabbling so I thought the kinds of products that Deb was offering was really interesting and then I heard her story which is um really moving about how she got here so Deb I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning can you give us a little bit of background of like how you started your Enchanted Botanicals? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, first of all, David and Nikki, for having me. Um, So it was 15 years ago, and out of the blue, I was diagnosed with a super aggressive breast cancer. And my oncologist gave me two years. And I found that completely unacceptable. And... So I sat down and I said, okay, God, it's you and me, universe, you and me, let's talk about this. And there has to be something that we can work out together. And basically I said, I will do what you need me to do. I will be your hands here and just, you know, lead me and save me. (laughs) So that um, the day that I had my first surgery, our son actually, he was 13 and he started his first day of eighth grade. So that was really my motivation. Um, I mean, I know it's not Mother's Day, it's Father's Day, but he's got a great father and I wasn't ready to, to leave either one of them. And so one thing just, you know, I, I just kept following the breadcrumbs. I was an interior designer at the time and I studied feng shui and I was so blessed because my radiation oncology office offered some alternative therapies that could be used um, as an adjunct to traditional Western medicine. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was introduced to energy medicine and guided meditation. And from there, I just started studying. And like I said, I followed every breadcrumb and I got to the point where I was looking for maybe some products that would help me. Because at the time, I, 
really, I knew very little about meditation. I was only just starting on a spiritual path. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been a lifelong Catholic. And so, I mean, I had that kind of tucked behind me, um, but I knew there was more. And it was almost like out of the blue one day, I heard this message that came in and said that I should go look to my gardens for what I was looking for. And um, I've been a lifelong gardener. And that's when I, I realized I can really start using what I've been growing to to heal not only myself, but other people maybe as well. And maybe that's what the universe had in mind for my mission. And so one thing led to another and I started making loose incense blends, which are all about creating smoke. Um, And smoke, you might've heard the term smudging. Um, An alternative term for it is sacred smoke or creating smoke to do clearing work. I started creating um, botanical candles using products that I grew in my garden. I studied medical herbalism, but realized that my real passion was working with the more ethereal parts of a person's being. And I think being in lockdown for so many months, Mm -hmm. a lot of us had the opportunity to expand, um, you know, to, to dive into some things that were maybe a little bit deeper. And um, I'm happy that my products might be able to help with that. And I'm sorry, you're, you're inferring that there's something deeper than Netflix, which is. <laughs> I am just a little bit. I mean, I love a good Netflix. Don't get me wrong. And Lucifer okay. is one of my favorite shows, believe it or not. <laughs> Let's talk about like what's in your garden and how it winds up in yes. your product and how people can utilize these things. Because right. I have these bath salts, but it's really all flowers. So can I also use that for like, can I just burn it? Like, what does it mean? Like, I don't yes. understand what any of it is. Okay. You probably wouldn't want to burn salt. Um, okay. It can be done, but it would need to be done very carefully. Okay. So in the bath salts, for example, I, I have combined black Hawaiian salt um, and pink Himalayan salt because those are known traditionally to be very clearing and cleansing elements. Um, every culture has a form of a clearing salt. So being true to the mission of Enchanted Botanicals, I combined it then with roses. So roses are the highest vibrational botanical there is. Um, People think of roses as being all about love and friendship, and that's true, but they are also badass flowers. I mean, you think about the thorns that they've got. So if you wanted to work on, say, establishing some boundaries, um, you might want to work with the spirit of Rose. And so the, the, the human body, in addition to having its physical aspect, there are three other layers that I work with, and that would be the emotional, mental, and spiritual. Mm-hmm. And as we get higher and higher, well, basically everything that happens to us throughout our day, throughout our lifetime, lodges like a little speck of dust in one of those layers. And if we don't take care of those little specks, they can build on each other. And that's when you've heard the term, you know, I have a, an, an imbalance or I've got an energy block. Um, 
that's those little specks of dust. I call them psychic dust bunnies and they lodge somewhere and a good energy healer, which I also like to think that I am, um, will know how to, to get in there and get those out. And so the products that I've created are for people to maybe do some self-help on those other layers that you can't see, but that sometimes you can feel, you know, sometimes you just get that, that hit of intuition, like, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go this way, even though this way is not your usual way to go home. And then you find out, well, you would have been stuck in traffic. That's your intuition coming through and giving you a little nudge. Okay. That's Uh, what I, well, we we only have a minute to the break, but we have some time after just quick question. Cause that's the, the, the messages that your body sends you or whatever. Yes. Obviously are very subtle. And so one of my, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm of this plane, you know, there's nothing spiritual about me. How do I know I'm getting that message? I mean, it's not as 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 straightforward as you know, being hit in the face with a hammer. So, what ha- you just suddenly realize it that you you kind of do. You know, it's like they these little experiences that you might think are oh that's coincidental, coincidental. They're building on top of each other, and you realize it's not coincidence so much as synchronicity. And so when you're in the flow with, with your mission, with what you're supposed to be doing in life, and that can change, you know, we're not given just one opportunity for a mission. Um, you can shift your purpose and your purpose is all about what brings you joy. Because when you're living in a place of joy, you're lighting a spark that can light someone else as well. So you don't need to consider it as spiritual or religious. Um, but just know that if you want to dip your toe in there, there are people like me out there um, who can help show the way. We have to take a quick break. We'll come yeah. back. This is okay. David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We're talking Enchanting Botanicals. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Deb Schaefer um, about spiritual herbalism. Uh, Deb has an online store that I want to hear about. And Deb, let's talk about some of your products. Sure. Thanks. Um, Well, I've got candles and, you know, candles are funny things. They are, they're beautiful to look at. They can be beautifully scented, but the way I formulate them, they go a little bit deeper and I start with an intention and they're all about helping you focus on certain things that we want to Um, maybe highlight or make better in our lives. And so I've got candles um, to help bring you into balance. There are candles there. I have a candle for clarity, um, another for releasing. So we've all got stuff that is, is not in our highest good. And it would be a good idea to let that stuff go. So there's a candle to help with that. And when I say there's a candle to help with that, what I've done is bring together um, herbs and flowers and crystals and essential oils that resonate with the vibration of letting go. And I know that sounds really woo. No, 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 no. I I think it's intriguing. It is. I mean, listen, I I come out of the 60s, so... uh... Okay, so I talked about vibes and and did things that got me in touch with my you know my inner self. But the you know I mean just for the last forty years, fifty years, you know, got a thousand years. But anyways, right. so, yeah, you know, tell everybody where they can find you and sure. where they can find. Yeah, so there, there's a 
a couple of ways to find me. I've got a great online store. I say it's great because I've tried to make it super easy to navigate. It totally is. I've I've tried to really um, concentrate on the description of each product mm -hmm. so that if you're just dipping a toe in, you'll understand it. Um, okay, but tell then we've got to wrap up. So tell yep, us. Yep, so Enchanted, it's enchanted-botanicals.com. Uh -huh. um, it's got my, my phone numbers on there, my email address. Um, if you're local, Loudoun County, Northern Virginia, feel free to come and see me Great. Um, at my home studio. And I've also online, I've got a list of the different expos and festivals that I'll be attending in case you'd like to find me in person. Okay, Deb, thank you so much. Thank you, Deb, Nikki and David. Thank you for joining Thanks us so here. much. Okay, we're going to switch subjects now. Everybody's heard about grass-fed uh, Aussie beef and lamb uh, before COVID. I mean, there were the commercials and they were, you know, I mean, everywhere you turned, you could find it. And we had attended an incredible dinner at Gravitas where we were fed that stuff and it was yummy. And that's where we met Catherine Golding. She's the business development manager for North America for grass-fed true Aussie beef and lamb. And we've got her on the line along with Pam Smith, their licensed dietitian, we're going to talk about the nutrition side of things and the COVID side of things and all of that. So, ladies, welcome to the show. Thank Great you so to much. be here. Yes, thank you. And, uh, welcome uh, back to the show. It is uh, great to have you both on. So, Catherine, I kind of want to start with you and talk about uh, just to refresh everybody's memories on the organization that you represent. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Basically, the organization is we're a, we're a marketing organization and we represent all um, Australian grass-fed beef and lamb from obviously Australia coming to the United States. And we basically do a whole lot of education and um, inspiration and promotion um, in the background for Australian grass-fed beef and lamb. And and. So during the pandemic, because we, I think you were on our show in January of 2020, like before the world, you know, imploded. What happened? Yeah. Was there a tremendous disruption? Like what happened for everything for you and for the company? Yeah, sure. Um, great question, actually, Nikki. Um, so essentially, um, like much of the rest of the country, um, you know, things shut down, especially at food service. But what was really interesting was that at retail, um, people still wanted to buy, um, you know, their, their favorite sort of meats and things like that. And, and what we discovered was now in America, most people aren't eating lamb every week. <laughs> um, but what happened, which was really interesting during the pandemic, and because there were lots of supply chain disruptions early on, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the things left on the shelf um, in the supermarket was lamb and people bought it because that was what was there. And what we actually found was they came back to buy more of it. Um, so for us, Actually, the retail side of the business really did pick up when, unfortunately, for the food service side, it took a major downturn, as you would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, shoppers they and consumers, they still want to eat really well. Um, and they have continued to do so throughout the, the whole, you know, what are we at now, 15 months or so. Right. Um, and it continues to be actually from our perspective, uh, not the worst news story in the world. I mean, certainly on the food service, 
um, not jolly for anybody, but um, on retail, a, a good story to be able to still be able to taste and um, delight in the um, um, good flavors of Australian grass. Well, and beef can we and talk lamb. a little bit about the, the the lamb and the beef and the good flavors? What is it about the grass in Australia that makes the meat so good? <laughs> Well, I, it's a whole combination of things, right? Um, but it is lots of, I mean, we have, our continent is, you know, largely, um, you know, undulating, grassy slopes and things like that. And so there's just a lot of it. I don't know. I um, saw the movie Walkabout. It didn't look like that to me. It looked like a desert. Oh, well, that's <laughs> Outback. So we're yeah. talking two different things. So there's Outback <laughs> Australia, and that is pretty rugged out there. Um but, you know, where we do grow our livestock, it is much more lush um, as parts of the country. So, you know, uh, if you turn America kind of upside down geographically, it's similar weather-wise to Australia. So in our south, it's pretty mild and um, beautiful weather. And that's where, you know, our sheep and, and cattle like to, to roam about. But up in the north, it's much more tropical. So think of Florida. Um, <laughs> And they, 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 don't, they don't tend to hang out there as much. Well, so I'd like to bring Pam in for a minute. So Pam, as a um, dietitian and a chef, what was it about um, lamb and beef from Australia that was so appealing to you? Uh, again, great question. And I will say to answer the, the previous question, I really believe that the reason that beef and lamb from Australia tastes so delicious is that the cows and the, the lamb, they're so happy. They're, they're taken care of. The farmers have such a love of the land and such a love of their animals that you see their, their, their shepherding, their pasturing of, of those animals in such a beautiful way. And again, it makes it delicious. As a nutritionist, I would always been so focused on grass-fed, pasture-raised, because by eating that grass, the animal actually has a higher level of omega-3s. And even the longer chain omega-3s that are so important for our body and for fighting inflammation and brain health and heart health and all of those things. But in addition to that, the nutrition that's packed into it in terms of high quality protein and iron and zinc, all of the things people look to as a way to support their body's wellness and, and immune system. So by eating that, you're getting such a plethora of nutrient rich food as a chef though. It's not just nutritious, it's delicious. And that is the exciting part of it. It's just such a one, two exciting celebration. Well, you know, but I think what's interesting about it is, you know, over the years, and especially the last year, we've had a lot of uh, new uh, products come up that are vegan. There's a lot of people talking about, you know, eschewing meat, but what they're really talking about, almost every single one of them is about big ag, big agriculture, and sort of, you know, they they sort of applaud the, the pasture-raised certified, you know, certified humane, more organic, you know, uh, farmers, because they care about the animals, just like you said, Pam, right. and therefore there is this superior 
product and not this also, you know, climate change, like all these other things that are causing all these problems with big ag. So how do you feel that, and Catherine, this can go to either of you, where do you all feel about that and, and your products? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, from an Australian perspective, um, our industry has been working hard to um, make sure it's ticking all the boxes for being sustainable, for being, you know, good um, caretakers of the land, but also the animals. And um, with all of that, you know, we've put a lot of science behind that. And, you know, every year we measure how well our industry is doing and we try to improve on it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point where, you know, a couple of years ago, our industry actually took a pretty big stance and said, you know what, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030. So, you know, in less than 10 years now, the Australian industry will be, you know, net zero emissions. So that's pretty big news. Um, we've kind of led the world on that front. Um, and we take great pride in it. Um, and in fact, you know, it's it's just an interesting story to see how these things evolved. And it's something that's been on our radar for many, many years. Mm-hmm. No, I think it is interesting. And I, I, what's important is that you all find it important, right? Because there's so much yes. chatter out there. But if we can't get the industries on board, then, you know, what's the point? Pam, I want to throw to you for a second, because one of the things Catherine said earlier was that, you know, people were taking lamb off the shelves because that what was there. So were you assisting in, in recipes for the newbies who weren't used to not just lamb, but grass-fed lamb, which can be different than, uh, you know, big ag lamb? Absolutely. And it was it was one of the bright spots, actually, of what was happening in COVID is to be able to introduce, in some ways, a a whole population to a food that they may not have been familiar with may have been a little fearful of because they didn't know how to cook it. And one of the most exciting things for me was to show people that you cook lamb the way you would cook any of your favorite cuts of beef. Um, If again, it has similar cuts, you just learn how you like to have your beef and you end up being able to cook lamb the same way. Ground lamb makes probably one of the best burgers you could have next to grass-fed beef from Australia because again, those flavors and again, they're just so beautiful to be able to make into a burger, into, of course, lamb chops, which people are so familiar with, lamb loins, a variety of ways to put the, the dishes together in such delicious Do and, Do not again, forget lamb ways. ribs. Yeah, I was, don't forget <laughs> lamb ribs, exactly. Uh, we love lamb so much that I've started making cocktails out of woolite. I just love Oh, look at you. <laughs> love it, love it. Catherine. You know, Pam, can I interrupt for one second? Because yeah, one of my favorite dishes you yeah. created for us was your little lamb mini loaves. And I thought they were amazing and um, just so easy. And I just, I think you should share that. I just thought that was delightful. Well, guys, I hate to do this to you, but time is up. So we have to take a break. Um, do me a favor. Tell us where we can find recipes. Tell us where we can find more about our- lamb loaf recipes. There you go. Oh, yeah. Uh, go to www.trueaussiebeefandlamb.com. Excellent. Thank you for joining us today. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. More coming up. We're going uh, to Green Almond Pantry, which I'm obsessed with. I can't wait. We'll be back in just a sec.
All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. You want to talk about the cruel hand of fate. First COVID hit, and then a fire last December destroyed its storefront in Shaw. And I'm talking about the Mediterranean uh, Cafe Counter Market uh, Green Almond Pantry. And uh, you would have thought that that would have uh, been the end of everything for them, but not true. Uh, they reopened in Georgetown last month. And uh, uh, Chalo Nal is with us to, to tell us all about it. She is the genius behind the market that has Nikki oh, obsessed. So David, I just want to interrupt because I, I feel like you're missing sort of the big story. Of the, oh, I may be. I mean, of the Green Almond Pantry. So it's really um, one of the few restaurants in the D.C. area that is this sort of small, very loving hands and home uh outpost that is creating amazing, amazing food. They don't take reservations. There's incredible focaccias and, and breads and then in salads. And I know she does catering too, but I mean, when that, when there was that fire there, I mean, it was a collective like, oh no, coming from the people who love it. So I'm so thrilled that you've opened up on Gray Street and um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Let's talk a little bit about how you wound up opening the original Green Almond Pantry, because it's not a traditional restaurant model. Yes. Um, so I was in the restaurant business really long time. Uh, but after I have my daughter, I miss her really growing up. Uh, I open hotels, restaurants, and I miss all the moments. And then I said, I want to create a business that I can be with her nighttime and, uh, you know, have dinner together. So it wasn't, uh, that's why I started a business. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I was, um, you know, working at Eto, uh, I decided that I want to open my business. But without investor, it's really tough to, you know, uh, find places, right spots. And uh, so I started to do my production with my dear friend, is like uh, two Amy's, mm -hmm. the owner, uh, Peter and Amy. They uh, gave me space in the kitchen. So I, I was using their kitchen and then uh, they gave me a couple of shelves to put my stuff in there. I started the farmer's market. So I was doing everything myself, doing production, packaging and go to farmer's market and sales. And then I found the ninth street. There is another friend who just uh, so I started like pop up and then everybody supported so much. It was like, it was, yeah, we were so uh, well, overwhelmed with the Chala, I've got a question for you scary. because you're originally yes. from, from Turkey, correct? Correct. Yes. Right, I should have said merhaba. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but um, <laughs> yeah, but um, a lot of your foods seem to be sort of, you know, I know it's a Mediterranean approach. There's a lot of pasta. There's a lot of sort of Italian themed stuff. Is that from working at Eto or is that just one of your loves? Since that I start to work professional, I've been um, U.S. So Washington D.C. I work with Obelisk. I work at Obelisk. Uh, to Amy is that when I was like uh, when I was waiting to Eto to open, I worked there uh, for the opening process, and then I've been in Eto. So yes, it affected me so much as the Italian cuisine, and uh, and I I find it very similar. I always say food is very similar to each other. It's like Mediterranean food. We use the same ingredients, same. It's just different pronunciation of different words. Right. But it's all um, ink stuff. Sometimes I I say, look, I don't know what you call in your language. 
So that's the way I'm making. It's green almonds makes me happy because I don't have to stick with like one, like one cuisine. So basically we do whatever we like to eat. Um, that was my starting. So I pick every pantry items. I always like pick what would I use it at home? You know, it's, we are small. We, we cannot have so much inventory. So I keep inventory, pantry things that we use it in the kitchen. Gotcha. And so let's talk about the new space because yeah. it is larger and uh, you are, you have a liquor license now. So how does that change uh, what you're doing and, and how you're serving the community? Um, I'm super excited for the, uh, the, the beer and wine license. And um, it's the end of Grace to Collective will help us to, to get our license very quick. So it was very nice. I always... It, it was missing part on the ninth street. Uh, it's we needed a beer and wine license because I think our food is goes really well with the wine and uh, it's just like the light uh, cocktail. So we can use vermouth um, cocktail we making. Um, so I think this is great. The with the new space that we can serve alcohol. We use right now the natural wines. Um, it's because it's not like you know um, we have limited, but again. We like to serve what we like to drink. Um, hopefully, you will come to visit. I don't know. Have you been in Gray Street Collective? But it's like I haven't been to Gray Street yet. Uh, but I. But also, I think we should tell people. Yeah, is it? I, I I love the neighborhood. You're uh, open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Like you're not open Monday and Tuesday. Uh, we are not uh, right now. I mean, I do production during the, the, those days, and then our fridge is always open. So it's like a farmers market things, but from the grill or you know the hot stuff is not yet it's okay. coming out it's just a, like everybody else has have uh, stock issues right now so we are trying to figure out and let's also talk about so how we can do it every day so uh, but i think yeah. are you open for breakfast lunch and dinner what are your hours what does it look like how have you changed now that you've changed location Yes, it's the hours is the same right now is 1130 to seven. Okay. We wanted the summer night to be can be a little longer because that's what I was like saying. We have a we, very cute patio. It reminds me of home or it's like it's in, in Europe. It's like there was nice three branches and then you can sit outside. Um, so that's what we wanted. I am uh, we are creating like family dinners. You can either can take to go or you can sit at the patio or inside have a bottle of wine and sit outside. I want people to come, you know, some people comes after the pool, so they don't have to dress up. They come with their family and sitting outside. So very casual. That's what I want them to feel like. They are using their, you know, patio. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully we can eliminate that. It's, uh, we are enjoying so much before I open it. We did so many like stuff, family meals there. It was, we are in love with our patio. So I hope that everybody can enjoy our experience that we did at the uh, reopening, so. Well, we um, really applaud that you've opened. We cannot wait to come in. You know, I'm a devotee and fan of uh, your food and I am not alone in that. Um, so can you tell everybody where on Gray Street that you are and where we can find you online? Uh, we are, our website is greenalmondpaintry.com. And then we are also on Instagram. It's like the very active use, uh, such a 
Uh, I'm really bad in social media, but it's like to me, it's like a big thing that we are trying to keep up with it. So everything is from scratch. That's why we started 1130. We make our dough handmade. Uh, so that's why it's taking. Some people are asking earlier, but it's just we cannot keep up with this. That's why we are opening 1130. Um, and then we are in the Grace Street Collective. So there are um, Georgetown Butcher, uh, so South Block Grace Street Co Coffee is in the uh, same collective. Mm -hmm. And hopefully there are new um, uh, small local businesses will come. So we are in the um, old sandwich, dear friends, our sandwich uh, space. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so we are there. It's like, it's like kind of like hidden. So hopefully, uh, I think people will find you. It's too good to miss. Oh, check it. We'll be in soon. I promise. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is David and Nikki. It's Beauty and the Beast. When we come back, we're talking to Richard Sandoval. And the last time he was on air, I got in trouble. We'll be back in a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're going to be talking to a guy that has nothing better to do than rule the world, the global world of restaurants. He's a chef. He's a noted restaurateur. Uh, he's back in D.C. with Delania, uh, Woodfire Mexican Cocina and Mescaleria in the Mount Vernon Triangle. And he is none other than Richard Sandoval. Chef, how are you? Hey, Richard. Great. Thanks Welcome for back to me. the show. So, Richard, I think we should give everybody a little bit of history because you've been in the D.C. market now for like, what, 13 years? Yes. Yeah, we, start, we started with... Um, with Masa 14. So we were kind of the pioneers on 14th street and almost you know, 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, kind of like a Asian kind of small plate, uh, you know, restaurant. Um, then, then we opened El Centro again on, on, on 14th street. Um, and then I had uh, Zango, mm -hmm. um, you know, near the Verizon center, which I think it's capital one, if I'm not mistaken. Or yeah. yeah. Zango your first? I always thought Zango was your first. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I, sometimes I get confused with all these well, restaurants. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to ask you how you remember all this. <laughs> that is what I am here for. I'm <laughs> institutional memory. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. So, so Zango was the first. You know, Masa was next. Then, uh, we, then we did El Centro. Then we did Toro Toro. Then we did Central Georgetown. God in heaven. Yeah. This is, I mean, you're from, listen, it's in your blood, obviously. Your family was in hospitality. And I remember reading in your bio that you were, you know, you're bothering your grandma in the kitchen while she was cooking too. So this is just your thing, man, you know? Yeah, you know, as, as a young kid, you know, you know, my parents were divorced. I, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and, and in Latin culture, I mean, everything evolves around food, you know? So I remember from a young age, you know, going into the kitchen, they'd sit me on the counter and I'd be watching my grandmother that cooks. And I'd be tasting, you know, food and kind of, you know, from a very young age, not knowing that you know, that was going to be my career, you know, you know, many years later. But I think that's, I got an early start, you know, you tasting certainly food did. and ingredients. But here's my question. We're going to talk about Delania in, you know, with great specificity, but yeah. you've got somewhere over 50 properties around the world, um, U.S., Mexico, the, the United Arab Emirates, Serbia. How do you keep control of all that? I mean, I guess not only control the businesses as they run as businesses, but quality control in the restaurants. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate to, to, to surround myself with great people. Um, you know, obviously me, me by myself, I mean, I can do one or two restaurants, but, you know, not, like you said, not 53 globally around the world. Also, what, you know, what I've been able to do is, you know, part of my company and my business is licensing. So I go into, 
you know, hotels, you know, partner, partner up with Four Seasons, Ritz Carlton's, where, you know, they oversee the restaurant. It's my brand, you know, my, my intellectual property, but then they oversee it. So they're very interested in protecting their brand and me. So it's, it's, it's a great partnership. Serbia, for example, I've, I've also partnered up with local groups. Anything outside the U.S., I partner up with a local restaurateur to make, make sure we have, you know, a person there on the ground, you know, part of the community and, you know, it has you know, interest in the restaurant. What I'd like to talk about is with your, all these restaurants in this sort of restaurant empire, we had a pandemic. How did you coalesce? How did you pivot and keep the ones that could survive thriving? And, you know, how did you, how did you take care of everything? You know, you know, I, mean, I was very fortunate, um, you know, actually, you know, the pandemic, you know, helped me kind of, you know, reboot, um, you know, in the last 30 years, I you know, hadn't taken, you know, pretty much any time off, you know, my mind was always creating and thinking and, you know, at one point I closed everything, you know, so 60 restaurants around the world were on lockdown, so it was just quiet and I was able to, you know, rethink, recreate and, you know, really get a little bit of time off. I was also able to, like you said, you know, close some of the restaurants that you know were not making sense anymore. That you know, I had a restaurant in New York that was twenty-eight thousand square feet. You know, Ooh. it didn't make sense anymore. You know, you know, coming out of the pandemic, so I only closed about three restaurants. So I was lucky in that sense too. But I think you know we're coming out of this stronger. Again, I was able to, you know, focus, concentrate, you know, get rid of the things that didn't make sense anymore. And so, you know. You know, we furloughed a lot of people, but, you know, we slowly started to bring people back. We opened, you know, three restaurants during the pandemic. We opened one in Denver right in the middle of the pandemic in a neighborhood. So we were able to kind of, you know, put our thought process in place, think things through, you know, step back a little bit and do the things that made sense. All right. Well, take us to Delena and what I mean, not only what drove you back to Washington again, but but the thinking behind well, the restaurant. A, but Delena is a replacement, right? You turned another one of your older restaurants. No, no. it's a totally new space. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally new place in Mount Vernon, okay. like you say, on K Street. Um, you know, my partner actually owns a building. You know, we met about ten years ago, and you know, doing a, a fundraising for fundraiser for Michelle Obama. And we always, we talked about doing. You know, he's also from Mexico, so we talked about doing something. And it's the opportunity came up, but uh, you know, about three years ago, and you know, I had always wanted to do a wood burning kitchen. Um, so I was, I was already in the thought process. I started creating some menu items. So when, and, you know, when he came around and asked me to, you know, get a location, you know, I love DC, you know, DC has been very good to me. They embrace what I do. So I, I couldn't think of a better place to do this, you know, new concept. Like you said, you know, Delenia, which means wood burning, it's all coming out of two Jasper grills and a masonry grill. So everything is cooked on wood. You know, we use different types of woods, whether it's mesquite, hickory, you know, you get different flavors from each one. So we play around with, you know, and always trying you know, different woods to get different flavors. And so walk people through, there's also like a cocktail bar there too, right? Right. So we have Roja downstairs, which opened, uh, you know, about 10 days ago. It's kind of like a speakeasy in, in the basement, uh, a mescaleria. So we have a, you know, we also have lockers where people could come in and buy their own locker to keep their own collection of tequilas, mezcal. So when they come in with friends and family, they can, you know, drink from the locker. Um, again, we have a lot of cocktails, you know, with mezcal because everything is based around smoke. And as right. you know, you know, mezcal is very smoky. So it kind mm -hmm. of made sense with, you know, what we're trying to accomplish there. Um, and how big is this restaurant? And are you looking to... As you look to open up more restaurants, are you looking for smaller spaces? Are you thinking smaller is better than 25,000 square feet? 
Yes, absolutely. I think in today's world, I think, you know, for me, the, the right footprint is about 4,000 square feet, 5,000. I think people are looking for small, you know, more sustainable, you know, more organic kind of, you know, not, not these you know, huge boxes with, you know, 400 seats anymore. So everything we're looking to do is, is more quaint, you know, smaller, smaller menus, you know, also, you know, we went from one pandemic to another pandemic, which is, you know, the labor market. That's yeah. Shorter. yeah. You know, it, it was just, you know, we, we held a job fair to fill 60 positions, you know, three people showed up. Oh. Yeah. And it's, and it's like that across the country. I mean, every, every market that we're in. So yeah, I think smaller menus, smaller restaurants, I think today, you know, make, you know, make a lot more sense. Well, can you take us through the menu? Yeah. So, you know, we, we obviously we have our, you know, our, our, our starters, you know, have, you know, we have some empanadas, um, you know, with grilled corn, manchego cheese, um, you know, we have some ceviches, we have a aji amarillo ceviche, it's kind of like a, a little Peruvian um, aji amarillo. We have a guayu tiradito, which is uh, also, we, you know, we infuse it with smoke, we serve it, uh, you know, with a, with a case and then, you know, table side, we open it up and kind of, you know, the, the smoke comes out. Um, you know, we have our tacos. We have a shorter taco, um, which was which was sous vide, and then we finish in our Jasper grill. We have a branzino, which is sarandiado, which is you know a classic dish from the from Nayarit. It's uh, you know marinated a lot of different you know, chilies and spices, and then is it the whole know, fish or uh, uh... it's the whole fish? Oh, yeah, yeah. Then, you know, we grill it. Well, can I ask no more... a question? Given the the size of the menu and the offerings that you're doing, and we're talking about the staff shortages. What's the training process? I mean, how I, I think it's so important for diners to understand what's happening in the restaurant world. You know, we just spent a year and a half being like, support our restaurants, support our restaurants. And now that we are, thank God, all vaccinated and can go, well, we're vaccinated and we can go out. And then um, as we were talking with our producer, Andy, before the show, you know, people are going into restaurants and there's like not enough staff. So like, how, what do you do to sort of, not just get people in, but then train them so that they can explain the dishes and explain the mezcal and the tequila to the patrons. Right. You know, I think a key element is you know keep your smaller, you know, tighter and smaller. Because again, you're you're constantly retraining people because you know due to the pen, you know people are coming and leaving because they're sure. getting offered more here, more there. So it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. I mean, it's also I mean it was a perfect storm. I mean, you know, we're going to coming out of a pandemic where everybody wants to go out. And then you and then you don't have labor. So I mean, the restaurants are packed to the gills, but there's no staff. So so right. I mean, we, we got to limit our, our our books and not take so many reservations. That's yeah, so it's a catch twenty two trying to maneuver. You know, hopefully over the next two months, as you know, government subsidies kind of you know, um, you know, kind of tone down, um, and you know, people start looking for work. I think you know, in the next two or three months, we should get back to some normal levels. You know. Well, and I also think once kids are back in colleges, right. you know, like in the DC area, you know, in small cities where uh, they increase because of the schools that are there, I, I do think that, you know, so late August, September, you're going to see a bunch of kids looking for restaurant jobs, students looking for restaurant jobs. Yeah, and you also got to remember, I mean, in, in tourist places, like the mountains, what, you know, you know, the J-1 visas are not existing either, you know, usually right. you, you, you had, you know, you, were, you had access to J-1s. You don't have that either. I think it's twofold too. I think a lot of people actually left the hospitality industry because we shut down completely. Right. So other people, other people got other jobs. It's not like they were sitting on the sidelines waiting for the jobs to come back. People had to do certain things. So a lot of people left the industry and may not be coming back. 
Well, and one of the things that um, with Kathy Hollinger from the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington we've talked about is that you know, pre-pandemic, given the growth of this city, I mean, just here, just given the growth of the city, we were already in a staff shortage. It was already a problem. And now, you know, and now, now we're post-pandemic. And I think you make a very good point. There are people who are not coming back to the industry. So we have to find ways to make it, to show people that it is a career and that it can be, a, you know, a very lucrative way to live your life. Yeah, and I think a great start is, you know, cutting hours down. I mean, a lot of people in the industry, you know, we're working six days and I think, you know, you know five days should be, you know, mandatory. So people, again, have quality of life and, and balance. I think in, in our industry, there was, it was never that, you know, we always knew, you know, we work long days, long hours, you know, when, when people are on vacation, we're working because that's when we're the busiest. So yeah, so I think you're, you're right. I mean, find a balance of how you get people to come back and say, listen, it's, it's, a, it's a work balance industry too. I mean, you know, we, we can manage your time and, you know, make good money, but also have some sort of balance. Well, I don't know if you heard the woman who was on before us earlier, the owner of Green Almond Pantry, but the reason why she opened up her own restaurant was because she wanted to be home with her daughter at dinner time. So she stopped service at seven, which I'm fascinated by, but she's been very, very successful. So I, I think it's gonna be interesting to see what happens uh, with the industry moving forward. Richard, thank you. It's always a treat to see you and uh, thank you for joining us. Tell everybody where they can find the new property. You know, we're on Mount Vernon on 476 K Street. Uh, you know, we're, we're open for dinner only right now and are you know, getting ready to open for brunch and lunch should be coming soon. So yeah, come visit us. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Peter, Peter Max design from Los Angeles. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty unbelievable uh, design and you know, how the restaurant looks. So yeah, please come. Right. Us and, you guys My guess is the next time we have you on the show, you'll have a hundred restaurants around the globe and we'll just, <laughs> we'll just keep going. <laughs> I hope not. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> All right. Take care. Yeah, man. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. So thank you to Richard and to all of our guests today on Foodie and the Beast. We really did have a delicious show. Uh, of course, it's Father's Day. Please uh, celebrate your dad or those who were your father figures. It's so important to mm -hmm. uh, share your love because they shared it with you. And area restaurants and hotels and caterers and vineyards and breweries are all throwing out everything to make it a great day for dad. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We hope you're vaccinated so that you don't have to wear a mask. And please remember to be kind to those servers because they're overworked. Uh, have a delicious week. Your story, it lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.